Well, if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus 9, verse 13, we're going to begin with. Let's read God's Word together. Exodus 9, 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. And here, look at this verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. We're in the midst of our series entitled Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. We finished the book of Genesis and we're in the book of Exodus. This sermon is going to cover Exodus 4, verse 18 through to the end of chapter 11. But these verses here really capture the heart of this entire section. So let's pray and ask for God to help us as we encounter His Word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank You so much for the opportunity to gather together as Your people and to hear the Word of truth. Holy Spirit, we pray that You would touch our hearts and transform our lives and display Jesus Christ for us all to see so that we would worship Him with even more passion and devotion and commitment than ever before. Lord, help us to see Your redeeming power and all of its glory in these verses. And would You please minister fresh comfort and hope to all of us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Oh, it's so good to see you. The title of the message this morning is Redeeming Power. Redeeming Power. And uh, yesterday was the Kentucky Derby. Um, Did any of you see the race? I love watching just the excitement of a horse race. And yesterday was the Kentucky Derby. My wife Shannon was telling me that there was $39 million dollars bet on the horses the other day for one horse race and uh, we couldn't help but just think oh man what we as a local church could do with 39 million dollars which is crazy uh my kids called the winner (laughs) so we wouldn't bet on a horse race but man they called the winner and you can't help but just feel like ah I chose a long shot, uh, and I, I love long shots. There were 64 to 1 long shots, and as you know, the odds, the horses that look the sharpest and run the fastest get the odds that are more like 4 to 1 or 3 to 1, but long shots are... 64 to 1, 37 to 1, and they're not likely to win. They're not likely to come out on top. Now, Israel, coming out of slavery, after 400 years being under slavery and under the most powerful nation and the power, most powerful man on the earth at that time, Pharaoh, was the long shot of long shots. You wouldn't want to place a bet on the odds of Israel getting out of slavery underneath of the hands of Egypt and Pharaoh. Insurmountable odds 
requires insurmountable power. And that is exactly what God's redeeming power is. Insurmountable power. And so I am just excited to look into these verses of Scripture this morning. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to touch our hearts. Pay careful attention and, and, and apply this into your own life as we're looking and seeing the redeeming power of the Lord. And I'm looking forward to worshiping with you at the end of the service again. You know, the longest shot of long shots was not the story here in Exodus, but it was the chance that you and I could be redeemed out of slavery to sin and Satan and death. Those were insurmountable odds for a sinner enslaved like all of us were, brothers and sisters, and yet the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom. He redeemed us with a mighty outstretched arm. And He gave His life as a ransom for many so that we wouldn't go to hell and receive God's justice for our sins, those of us who believed and repented but we'll rather go to heaven forever. So every one of us, when we get to heaven and we stand there and we're enjoying Christ on day one and breathing that fresh air of eternal life in heaven forever, which is coming in just a little while, brothers and sisters, hold on, hang in there, it's coming. We'll all have the realization that it wasn't like 64 to 1 or 100 to 1. It was like infinity to 1 for all of us, that any of us would make it there at all, but we'll be there. Because the insurmountable, redeeming power of God overcame the insurmountable odds of our sin through His finished work on the cross and the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh man, I'm excited to look into this with you. And so let's look at three points this morning. Number one, God's redeeming power is unstoppable. God's redeeming power is unstoppable. And we'll see this in relation to despite Egypt's opposition, and then uh, secondly, despite his people's weakness. So, second point is God's redeeming, redeeming power is for his people. God's redeeming power is for his people. And finally, God's redeeming power is proclaimed in all the earth. Let's look at point one. God's redeeming power is unstoppable. And we see God's redeeming power being unstoppable throughout Exodus chapter 4 through 11, despite Egypt's opposition. Many of you know this story very well, and uh, it's reflected as well in the, in the, the Disney movie Prince of Egypt. But it, it's, you gotta read this story in God's Word, Exodus 4 through 11. If you haven't gotten a chance to read it in a while, plow through sometime this afternoon and just enjoy just watching God just show His power and His amazing grace and His redemption. But despite Egypt's opposition, Egypt's false gods were brought down by God one by one with all the different plagues that the Lord ordained. And I just love this story. It begins with the blood in the Nile River. And I just want to run through here all the different gods that our God conquered when He did these mighty works and brought forth these mighty plagues. Uh, Hopi, the bullheaded god, was the god of the Nile itself. Isis, the wife of the god Osiris, was also revered as having authority over the river. Knum, a god with the head of a ram, was viewed as a special guardian of the Nile's waters. All three of those false gods, boom, brought down through this one plague. And you've got to understand that the Lord was targeting this to show His might and His power. And the second plague of the frogs, you think, oh, what's up with the frogs? But the frog, Heket, was the Egyptian goddess of birth and fertility. She was depicted as a woman with the head of a frog. Boom, she was brought down. And the Egyptians went from worshipping this false god to sweeping them out of their house in piles and in heaps and 
the land stunk from the effect of this one plague. The third one was gnats, and Geb, the god of the earth, was brought down over the plague of gnats. And then flies. Kepri was a god related to creation and rebirth and was depicted as a man with the head of a fly. Kepri brought down through the plague of the flies. Cattle, Hopi and Hathor, the goddess of love, false goddess of love, were normally depicted as, as ha- having the head of cattle brought down through the plague on the cattle. The boils, what was up with that? Sekhmet was a goddess with power over sickness and disease, according to Egyptian false religion. Sunu was the god of pestilence, and Isis was the great goddess of health, medicine, and healing. All three of them brought down through the plague of boils. Hail and fire, which was a terrifying plague when you read about it. Newt, the goddess of the sky, and Set, the god of storms, would have been the object of this plague. Locust, Osiris, was the ruling god over the crops of the land of Egypt. The plague of locusts brought the utter destruction of all remaining plant life that was left after the hail, along with Newt and Set. Already mentioned, gods such as Shu, the god of the wind and the atmosphere, would have been proven powerless in the face of the living God of heaven. And darkness, Ra, the false god of the sun, along with Osiris, Ra was considered the greatest of all Egyptian false deities. And for three days, miraculously and powerfully, darkness that could be felt was brought down on the Egyptians and only on the Egyptians For three days, while just over in Goshen, where they would have been able to see, the sun is shining brightly over in the land of Goshen where Israel was. You gotta understand, this was, this must have just totally blown the minds of the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And can you imagine being the people of Israel underneath the sun as God was just crushing Pharaoh and the land of Egypt? There's, in the neighborhood of 20 false gods vanquished through these plagues. And these false gods and the magicians who practiced the secret satanic arts, they couldn't stand before our God. So, these Egyptian false gods were brought down. They stood in opposition. And God triumphed over them. And you can't help but just even see that part of the design of God and constantly hardening Pharaoh's heart after he could have just crushed him with one plague was that, hey, I'm going to harden his heart so that I can get my full victory over these false gods because I'm going to crush Pharaoh, but not before time. Not before I placard for the whole world to see my glory. What an awesome God, brothers and sisters. What an awesome God. And And also Pharaoh and his son. They were viewed as living gods. And in the plague we'll look at next week in relation to the Passover and the plague on the firstborn, these living gods were brought down and shown as powerless before the one true God, our God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the great I Am. The other opposition is not just the false gods, but Egypt's ruler, Pharaoh. In Exodus 14, which we'll look at over the next number of weeks, the the Lord says, I'm going to get glory for myself over Pharaoh. And you see this throughout the entire section here in Exodus 4 through 11. God keeps saying to Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh keeps saying, "Uh, I will not let the people go. And it's just this great contest of wills. Well, guess who wins? Our God wins despite the steel will of Pharaoh that was unmoved. Even though he said, I will not let your people go. By the end, he's begging them to go. And just he is just crying mercy because our God is sovereign over all the earth and sovereign over the Egyptian ruler Pharaoh's heart. And he conquers over Pharaoh's heart just at the right moment, as we mentioned before. You know, uh, there's throughout Exodus chapter 4.18 through to the end of chapter 11, um, I counted 15 times that there was a description of Pharaoh's hard heart and determination not to yield. It's like repeated after every single plague. And 
what's amazing, if you look at the language and you study this in the 15 plagues, what you see is that 11 of the 15 of those descriptions place the accent on the sovereignty of God over the human heart and will. You see in 421, I will harden his heart. 7 verse 3, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. 713, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. 22, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. 819, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. 97, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. 912, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. 935, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. 1020, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. 27, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. 1110, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we see that description 11 times of the 15, and there's an accent on the sovereignty of God over the human heart and will, but it's also described in 934, one of the four instances where human responsibility is accented. Pharaoh sinned yet again, 934, and hardened his own heart. He hardened his heart. Pharaoh himself later confesses that he sinned against God and Moses. And yet Pharaoh did not truly repent and turn away from following his sin and his rebellion and turn to follow the one true God. And there were three other occasions as well. So 11 out of 15, the accents on the sovereignty of our God over the human heart. And yet human responsibility is simultaneously upheld in the Scriptures. But we must learn, brothers and sisters, to put the accent on where God puts the accent in Scripture. And sometimes where you see that is over the course of a period of time like this where you see that the sovereignty of God over the human heart is accented due to the more numerous occasions where it's written in that way. Proverbs 21, verse 1, talking about the heart of the king, says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. The Lord turns the heart of the King and all kings today wherever He will. God is sovereign over the human heart. He's sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign over kings and rulers like ancient Pharaoh, but also of the kings of the earth today. Can't help but think of this this verse. Today, brothers and sisters, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the days of the rebellion. Christ community, my dear brothers and sisters, soften your heart. Bend your knee. Return to the Lord and He will heal you. Lewis exhorted us this morning from the ministry mic to make sure that we don't give the devil a foothold. Hardening our heart gives the enemy a foothold and we must soften our heart and turn our heart into a heart that is really tender in the hands of the Lord and yields to the Lord. Because who can resist His will? God will always win the test of wills against the human heart. He will always have His way. It's better to yield and be saved than to defy Him As Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. You know what it says? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them and then He rebukes them in His anger saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You've got nothing for me. Your steel will does not compare to my stronger will to save my people and redeem them, Pharaoh. And so brothers and sisters, let us yield under the mighty hand of God with whatever He's doing in your life right now. Yield, brother. Yield, sister. Don't harden your heart. But today when you hear His voice, soften your heart. Get on your knees and cry out to God and He will save you. Exodus chapter 9, speaking of this passage with Pharaoh, beginning in verse 13, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh. And look again at verse 16, brothers and sisters. Here's a real accent verse today. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, Pharaoh, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 
Pharaoh, you think you're defying me? You're going to be my microphone to the nations about how powerful I am to bring my people out. You are just my tool, my instrument. And brothers and sisters, when we see the power of our Almighty God in relation to the the heart of the kings of the earth, let us take comfort that God is the one who is in control over all things. Amen? And also, He conquers over Egypt as a nation, despite the opposition of just Egypt as a whole as a nation. Egypt was just utterly devastated after all this. And even in fact, in the midst of the plagues, Pharaoh's ministers come up to him and just say, hey, listen, we are just absolutely devastated by this. Open your eyes. And their power, the power of the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation of the earth at that time, to keep God's people in slavery was utterly vanquished, utterly devastated. God broke the power of Egypt. And He breaks the power of Satan, sin, and death over our lives. So God's redeeming power, brothers and sisters, is unstoppable despite Egypt's opposition. But it's also unstoppable despite His people's weaknesses. I want you to track in your Word, in your Bible with me on this section right here. Look at 4.31. This is just, I love the progression here. Uh, why don't you just look at 29 first, 429. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. This is the people of Israel. They kind of had a meeting with the people of Israel before they had the kind of nervous meeting to go before Pharaoh and all the magicians of Egypt. And so they had sort of like a church meeting before they went and the people believed. So the people of Israel respond. They believe this is a great moment. Verse 31, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, this is the people of Israel, what a moment, they bowed their heads and worshiped. What a meeting. Come out of that meeting like, oh, I love you, Jesus. But then look what happens in 5, 5 1, right after. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, you probably feel like after that meeting, you walk in with a little bit of a confidence, you know? All right, let's watch God work here. Watch what happens. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And not just that, life gets harder for Israel. You think that you're going to obey God and life's going to get a little bit easier? Pharaoh says, you know what? Let's just uh, let's just let's just have them see what they can do with this. Why don't you go and make bricks without straw? We've been supplying the straw for you. You've been getting lazy. Uh, why don't you go and do it now without us supplying the straw for you? And let let's let's see what you feel about your God now. And what happens if you look down in verse eight, the number of bricks that they made in the past, they weren't reduced, but actually increased. Let heavier work be laid on the men. And the foremen, the Israelite foremen who were in charge of the work, they, they really just panic. And you understand it. They just, they go before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells them, you're lazy, go away. No straw is going to be given to you. And look at what they did in verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. So Moses and Aaron are there. And they're probably still excited from the meeting the night before as well. As they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, this is Israelite to Israelite, the Lord look on you, Aaron and Moses, and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. That's what your spiritual leadership represents for us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and said, here's the mighty man of valor from last night. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. God, we're doing what you told us to do. We're being bold here. We went, I went to the people, then I went to Pharaoh. What's up? We cannot, brothers and sisters, make the mistake of thinking that just because we're following God, life's not going to get harder. 
But here's the good thing. Despite even God's people's weaknesses, frailties, doubts, and ups and downs, God still gets it done. 6-1. Look at this. And here's the Lord's response. The Lord said to Moses, I love this phrase, by the way, now you shall see what I will do. All right, it's game on. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. This is what happens here. You see the form internal of Moses and Aaron. Moses then turns on God. And God's gracious response in 6.1 is, I'm not deterred, Moses, by you guys and your ups and downs. I'm not going to stop moving in power just because Pharaoh's defying me and you're doubting me. I'm going to get it done. So Moses rises up to lead again. So he kind of musters himself up, picks himself off the floor to go before God's people again and lead them spiritually. And look at verse 9. He got all hyped up again. God pumped him up with, now I'll show you what I do. Look at 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. The people of Israel didn't. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. That's a really... Just a wonderful insight here. Moses rises up to lead again, and the people don't listen. And there's a, there's a leadership lesson. There's a discipleship lesson for people you're discipling. It's people you're seeking to lead in the Lord, ladies, and people you're seeking to lead to the Lord, my brothers. Leading and influencing God's people, it takes patience, it takes compassion, and it takes perseverance. And we must be compassionate towards our brothers and sisters who have had their spirits broken underneath of harsh slavery. They didn't listen because they were suffering. They were having a really hard go of it. And yet, Moses starts doubting himself again. Look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me, God. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And then you see in verse 13, once again, God is not deterred even by Moses doubting himself or the people of God not listening to the messenger of God. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God keeps moving forward with His unstoppable and glorious plan. Despite the weaknesses and the hot and the cold of His people. Oh, brothers and sisters, can't we apply that into our lives today? Isn't that so comforting that in the midst of all of our discouragements in life, in the midst of our spiritual brokenness, in the midst of the things that are oppressing us and the ups and downs we all have of not listening to God and His messengers. Or perhaps you've been a messenger of the Lord and because people haven't been listening, you've been wavering in your own confidence and in your faith like Moses and Aaron did. Isn't it such a wonderful comfort, my dear brothers and sisters, that God still moves in His redeeming power to save and deliver despite our weaknesses when we are weak? God shows Himself strong. God has not stopped. Please take this in deep. God has not stopped, my brother and sister, by our failings, our complaints, our weakness, our brokenness, or our sufferings. But God has compassion toward us. He is a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because He Himself was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. But He remembers that we are but dust. And God takes compassion on us. He could have said, you know, they're not even listening to you, Moses. That means they're not listening to me. I'm done with this. You know what? Fine. 400 more years of slavery. I was listening to you and your groaning and I was seeing your suffering. But you know what? Why don't you stay under it a little bit longer? That's not our God. Our God sees us in our need and He has compassion. And He fulfills His purpose for our lives, even in the midst of our weakness. We are weak, but He is mighty to save. 
and powerful to redeem. Amen? He's an awesome God. Let's look at point two. God's redeeming power is for His people. He redeems Israel and has mercy on her, but He hardens the heart of Pharaoh. In Romans chapter 9, the God's Word talks about it this way. And this is a really an amazing passage of Scripture. Look at Romans 9 with me. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Look at verse 18 of uh, Romans 9. So then, He has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. Brothers and sisters, God makes a distinction between the people of Israel and the people of Egypt all the way through chapter 4-11. through And what we want to do as God's people in response to all that is we really want to marvel at God's amazing grace in our lives. That He would have had mercy on anybody at all. He had mercy on you. And let us all take heart that God has had mercy on us despite us being worthy of His eternal wrath. And one of the ways we see His redeeming love for His people is that not only does God harden the heart of Pharaoh, but continue to choose to show mercy to the people of Israel, He constantly makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt through this entire section of Scripture with the plagues. Now, look in your, look in your Bible with me. 8, 22, and 23 with the plague of the flies. Look, look at the plague of the flies, verse 22 and 23. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, Pharaoh, so that no swarm of flies shall be there, that you may know, Pharaoh, that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. And you see this language here, my people, not my people, in the heart of God. This is something very important for us theologically to absorb. 9 verse 4, you see it again with the plague of livestock. Look at 9 verse 4 with me. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. So the plague hits, Egypt's livestock are all wiped out, and Israel's are over there feeding on grass. This is intentional of God. 9.26, it continues on. Look at verse 26 of chapter 9. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. You've got hail and fire coming down on the people of Egypt. What's interesting about this plague is God actually gives any Egyptian God-fearer the opportunity to get themselves and their servants under shelter a little bit earlier in this chapter so that if they fear the Lord, they would be spared the plague of hail. But the people of Israel didn't even have to worry about that. Not a hailstone dropped in Goshen. And it, the lesson is slowly getting through to Egypt. This is God's people. This is not. There's a distinction made. God has mercy on whomever He wills. He hardens whomever He wills. He's sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign over who He chooses to redeem. And then in 10.23, look in 10.23 with the plague of locusts. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel... They had light where they lived. This is the plague of darkness. The locusts tear through, but then after the locusts are, is the plague of darkness. And this one here, I actually, if you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, it's one of my favorite moments when three days, darkness, and it, it's not just darkness, it's darkness that can be felt. There's like this distinct work that the Lord does where He just displays, these are the children of darkness. 
These are my children of light in the sun. You put your hope in Ra, the false god, to shine light down on you. I'm snuffing it out. All of this is attacking a false god. It's bringing Pharaoh to his knees. It's bringing the people of Egypt underneath of the mighty hand of God. And it's blowing Israel's mind as they see for three days sun shining down on them. And I couldn't help but think, brothers and sisters of Ephesians 4, where God's Word calls us children of light. For 1 Thessalonians 5, listen to this reference. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Talking about when the day of Jesus comes and He returns. For you are children of light. You are children of day. We are not of the night or the darkness. This is a description of salvation. You who are born again, who have repented of your sins by grace, trusted in Jesus, you have been saved and redeemed by the light of the world. And now you shine and reflect the light of the world to the dark world. But you were once in darkness, now you're light in the Lord. It actually says you were once darkness, now you are light. God has done a miracle. He has reached down into neath, underneath of your darknesses and pulled you up from the depths and now you are shining radiant. Your life might be so hard right now and so difficult, but take heart, my brother, my sister. Hold on. Hang in there. You are a daughter of light. You are a son of light. That's what defines you. And God knows you. And then finally, with the firstborn plague in chapter 11, let's look at verse 4. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will ever be again. Look at this distinction again. Not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. So Egypt's getting slain. And it's like peace. In Goshen. Not a dog growling. The contrast, the sharp contrast is meant to help us recognize that the Lord, it says in verse 7, makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger, Moses did. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And here's why. That my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Awesome power. Awesome God. God loves the world, brothers and sisters. And God has a special redeeming love, though. A special redeeming love for His people, for His chosen wife, for His bride, for His children. It's a distinct love that's different from His love for the whole world that sent His own Son that whoever repents and believes of their sins might not perish but have everlasting life. He loves the world. He loves the nation so much so that He sent His own Son to come and die. But brothers and sisters, the love that He has for you, His chosen child of light, is a special redeeming love. He makes a distinction between the people of God and the people of Egypt. We don't want to be Christians who are ashamed that God makes a distinction and that He loves us with a special love. We are meant to feast on that love. It's a targeted love. It's meant to blow your mind that out of millions of people lost on this earth, He has had mercy on you and has redeemed your life from the pit. This is meant to cause us to have fresh assurance of our salvation that even though our lives are greatly troubled right now, He's got us. And the light is in our hearts. On the final day of judgment, when the sea of all humanity is before the judgment throne, as it says in Matthew 25, every knee is going to bow before Him, Philippians 2, and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But even on that final day, a distinction 
will be made once again, my friends. The sheep will be separated from the goats. The sheep who have, by God's grace, repented of their sins and believed in Jesus will go into heaven with Christ unto eternal life. The goats, unbelievers who have rejected Christ, will go into, here's the phrase in Matthew 25, at the very end of Matthew 25, they will go into eternal punishment in hell. The children of light will enjoy God forever and the children of darkness will be cast out from the benevolent presence of God forever. Are you ready, my friend, for the day of judgment? Have you personally repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ? Please, won't you do so while there's still time? Today is the day of salvation. Please repent and believe while there's still time because when that day comes, there will be no second chances. You won't have the opportunity to repent ever again. And trust me, God's Word is true. Your knee will bow. It will either bow in adoration and worship and anticipation of heaven, or it will bow in terrifying fear of a God who will cast sinners into hell because He's a just God and cannot tolerate unrepentant sin. Point three. God's redeeming power is proclaimed in all the earth. And this is a fast point, but a happy one. Exodus 9, verse 16, that verse again. But for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Did you ever think that the Great Commission and the the, the good news going to the nations was just for the New Testament? Oh, it's in the Old Testament too, brothers and sisters. God was concerned that His name might be proclaimed in all the earth here in the book of Exodus. God is motivated for His own glory. He desires for His own name to be proclaimed in all the earth. And that is why He raised Pharaoh up in order to show the most powerful man in all the earth real power. By bringing him and his will of steel to his knees. And He brings the nation of Egypt to his knees. He brings the false gods of Egypt to utter destruction. He brought the ministers of the false gods who labored hard to conjure the same plagues so that they could discredit our God by their secret satanic arts. And they did that with the blood on the Nile, but they didn't even get to the plague of gnats before they realized they were out of their depth. And you know what the magicians said to Pharaoh? Here's their word. Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Exodus 8, verse 19. Why is the world the way it is today? That the name of Christ might be proclaimed in all the earth. God is a God who sets up His people against insurmountable odds so that when they are redeemed, all His people and all that the nations can say is, that was the finger of God. He is God. There is no other. So let me share just a few application points for you. And then we're going to close in worship. Listen carefully to these. God's power to redeem is unstoppable and awesome. And it should give us hope as we look at our lives and look at the world today. Christ community, take heart. Have hope. God's power is awesome and unstoppable. Application number two. God's plan continues to go forward even though His people are weak and broken. It is not about our strength to get it done, church. But God's power to redeem even in the midst of our weakness. Be encouraged, church. Don't give up on God. And let me let me add this point. Don't give up on God. My brothers and sisters, hear this. Don't give up on God's people. Just because of the weaknesses of your brothers and sisters. Moses and Aaron did not do that. You may encounter stubbornness. You may encounter God's people not listening. Or even as Lewis was talking about, you may encounter on social media, Christians at their very worst moments, being mean to other Christians. And you're thinking, how can any Christian really talk like this about other believers? 
that's in God's hands. Put it into the hands of the Lord. Don't you let your love for God's people diminish because of it. Continue to love Jesus and love His church even as you encounter their weaknesses. Point of application, point three. God makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel that we would marvel at His amazing grace. Marvel. Be overwhelmed with gratefulness that you have been redeemed out of slavery to sin and Satan by Christ's blood and finished work on the cross. You are children of light, my brothers and sisters. And finally, point four. God showed His power to His people, to Pharaoh, to the nation of Egypt, and to the nations of the earth. God desires for His name to be proclaimed in all the earth. Christ Community Church, let's remember the Great Commission. Let's remember our mission. A people from every tribe and tongue and nation are going to hear the Gospel. Let us rally our efforts and commit ourselves to the cause of the advance of the Gospel on this earth. Let us not live our lives here on this earth for ourselves, but let us live our lives on this earth for the advance of the Gospel. We've all got one short life to live here for Jesus and then it's over. And we'll never be able to serve Him in that same way of advancing the Gospel again because we'll be in heaven. Now's the day of labor. Now's the day when we roll up our sleeves. Now's the day when we use our spiritual gifts, church, to be the church and to rise up and to be used by God in in the purposes of our generation so that we might proclaim the name of Christ to the ends of the earth. Do not let your zeal be dimmed. Rise up. God's got great purpose for you. You have purpose. If I could have the worship team at this time return quietly. And church, if you could listen carefully. I just have a closing illustration that I think will uplift you. Shannon and I took our kids to an ancient Egypt display at the Franklin Institute a number of years ago. There was a section that walked through the ancient pharaohs of ancient Egypt. I wish you could have all been there with me because I would have been rubbing my hands and I would have like hugged you. On display was a description of a pharaoh who during his time, the entire nation of Egypt inexplicably changed from a polytheistic nation to a monotheistic nation. It didn't last real long in the nation of, in the nation of Egypt. But the change was so dramatic underneath of this one Pharaoh's tenure that it is still marked by secular historians to this day. I stood before that display and I worshipped. Because brothers and sisters, here in the year 2018, 3,500 years after the fact, there are historians who are still testifying to what our God did in His Word of Truth. They can't explain the anomaly. How did a polytheistic nation under all the pharaohs before suddenly stop that and become monotheistic for a time? But we as Bible-believing Christians know what's up. We know what's up. God got glory over Pharaoh by redeeming his people through his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. And dear church, however, as awesome as that power was, it was as nothing compared to when he redeemed his people and redeemed you out of slavery to sin and Satan and death. That was his most glorious display of redeeming power. The death of his son, shedding his blood on the cross, paid your ransom, it bought you out. It redeemed you out from slavery, which would have ended in an eternity in hell underneath of the bondage of sin as children of darkness forever. And God said, no, I'm going to show my power. I'm going to move and I'm going to draw this one and that one and the people here in Christ's community who I'm going to save, I'm going to bring them up out of the pit and I'm going to redeem their life 
so that they might enjoy me as children of light forever. I make a distinction. I choose you. I choose you. Take heart. Take heart, my weary brothers and sisters, this morning. Because though you are in this fight of faith, you have got a God who against insurmountable odds displayed insurmountable power to bring you up from the depths. And you're going to be enjoying an eternity in heaven forever because of this power from this awesome God. Don't let your heart be discouraged. Do not be afraid. But let us rather, this morning close, let us rise in worship and let us praise our God who is mighty to save, mighty to redeem. By suffering His own Son to shed His blood on the cross to redeem all of us sinners out from the eternal damnation and death and imprisonment to Satan that we deserve forever. No, that's not going to be our future. Our future is going to be right here, worshiping and praising God forever and ever because of what He has done. Can we thank Him as we stand for how awesome He is? Yeah, let's let Him have it, church, because He indeed is mighty, mighty to save. Let's praise Him. You guys did it. That's all I wanted to do was just clap again. Can we just clap and tell them how much we love you? We love you. Thank you for doing what you did. Thank you for doing it. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We give our lives in surrender to you. Because you have been mighty to save such great sinners like us. Having been forgiven much, Lord Jesus, we love you much. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.